Hello and welcome to the Chacha Wakbada Basset Creek Oral History Podcast, where our guests discuss ways that they and other indigenous peoples have lived, worked, and played in the Chacha Wakbada watershed for thousands of years. This project was created in Minnesota Makoche, or Minnesota, the traditional and contemporary homelands of the Dakota people. The project was co-led by Dr. Casey Keeler and Crystal Boyd with support from community partners. More information is included at the end of this episode. On behalf of everyone who contributed to this project, thank you for tuning in. Good afternoon. I'm here with Jim Rock for the Bassett Creek Oral History Project. So how many talk you? I said hello my relatives, I'm Wambadi Hayetu, part of my name. Hello my relatives, I'm of the seven Starfire Nations. Um, I said I was born at Imanijaska, that's St. Paul. Um, my ate dad was Sisito uh, on Dakota. He went back to the stars about uh, 11 years ago. So I wish you could have been hearing this from him. Um, it's a joyful, beautiful um, responsibility to try and, you know, his moccasins. And he always walked with love. He was a wonderful ambassador. Um, he uh, modeled our values so well. and. And uh, so anyway, he uh, is in large part why Roxanne and I are together. So that's why I need to mention, uh, he was one of the very few elders that Roxanne hadn't met yet around here in the Twin Cities. Uh, we were both at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. So uh, let's see, did I say anything else I didn't translate there? I guess it's a stopping place just uh, intro. <laughs> well, thank you for that. That was such a, um, a generous introduction and such a, a nice tribute to your dad as well. So you mentioned that you were born in St. Paul, um, but for how long and have you lived in this area surrounding Bassett Creek? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, most St. Paul people don't cross the river to the Minneapolis side and vice versa. We get very loyal over generations. Um, if that's a Minnesota thing or uh, probably even more so indigenous, um, we, we do love the places we're a part of. We invest in those relationships. We want to see the health of, of all our relatives. That's why when we greet hello my relatives, we're, I'm seeing the rooted the, the ones that still have green out there and the ones who had little buds ready to poke out and the wingings, the crawling, swimming, all the relatives. And um, so those healthy relationships are, are key. And I think that's what maybe in some ways we put down roots. And um, I've kind of learned that I need to be more flexible. <laughs> and if... Uh, anyway, so after um, university, 
uh, my first work was up at the White Earth Reservation. So I went, you know, four and a half hours north. And then when I came back down, it happened to be on this side of the river. So um, I still have, you know, family, friends, long, you know, uh, I'm on projects of sacred site and wetland restoration. And I work with archaeologists and universities and so forth on both sides of the the big river, the Hahawakpadan, or Hahawakpa, <laughs> yeah, we're at Bassett Creek, Hahawakpadan. The dam makes it like creek instead of river, Wakpa, Wakpadan. Yeah, so my dad was, um, he um, didn't really use much English till about age 12. He was a first language speaker, and um, he was his, his kunshi, his grandma's um, assistant for those 12 years. She was a Wachbewiya, a leaf woman, an herbalist, and a doula um, midwife. Um, so he would follow her all over and with her bundles and, and you know, putting tobacco and, and, and bringing back the different um, food, food plants and medicine plants and preparing them. And, and she had her bundles, he said, um, over by where her bed roll was and um so at age 12 he went off to boarding school um roxanne and i both have uh you know uh indian dad and, and non-indian mom who uh you know it's uh because i grew up in saint paul i think it was a window of time where our, our experiences were very different as I compare Roxanne uh, being uh, a native woman in South Dakota where Indians and rattlesnakes were often compared, uh, where she says in the library there might have only been three, two, three, four books on us. And yet I, I feel maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's, it's hard to answer these questions because you could almost give any answer. It's what do I want to focus on? I can't, you know, sure. There were times of, uh, where you feel bad, but also times where we would find our colleagues, you know, in elementary school, you know, I'd sit in the back row with uh, the Ho-Chunks or, uh, uh, the kids who spoke Spanish or, um, we had, uh, melanin and, and diversity, um, in the in the 60s um and and it was a time the country was had its growing pains and there were things that i didn't realize about my ate my dad that he didn't tell me till about six months before he passed because he knew i'd probably brag him up and he was so humble he uh so i think it's important to share though for this project that you know he was always kind of behind the scenes leader, advocate, bridge. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to be out front. He barely let us take pictures. He didn't want recordings. This this made him uncomfortable. So, part of me, you know, Roxanne and I are, we're, we have to be used to it. But there's a piece of me that I I just like him too. It's uh, I have to pretend I'm not being taped. Um, so then he was with. Um, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King and uh, Ralph Abernathy and Dick Gregory in Milwaukee 
um, multiple occasions uh, for uh, in the early 60s, um, like there was a 61 and 63 March, one was with uh, elder housing and one was uh, sanitation workers. And, and so that very early Rainbow Coalition, I'm not sure they even called him that, you know, but he was tall and um, for part of his time, he was uh, grinding cocoa beans, cacao, making chocolate uh, in Milwaukee after Korea. He was, so at the boarding school, uh, Flandro, they told him never use that language again. And, you know, basically those boarding schools would give you a fourth grade education at best. And usually just some service skills, if it was horseshoeing or welding or carpentry, but he loved all of that. He, he had, you know, many, many skills. He just never got the degrees for it. Uh, I saw other, other people taking it, you know, even, even engineers and so forth. Um, taking his ideas and uh, he was always coming up with improvements and so forth. So uh, it was one of the last road trips we got to make was go back over there and he showed me uh, where, where that chocolate factory was, you know, and, but he also had um, 37 years of sobriety and that's why I can be here. Um, again, it's the same for Roxanne and I both that um, <clears throat> it's, uh, we, are here because others made hard choices for love and sanity and health, and uh, and they matured. Um, but it wasn't always like that. So um, I think you know you feel that you want to give back for our, our children, grandchildren, and uh, and make this a better place. And uh, so, yeah, the um, I have cousins over in Wisconsin and so forth, too. So does Roxanne in, in Milwaukee. There were so many pieces we didn't realize how much we, we knew. And that's, uh, you know, he could see things. Both of us were kind of the nerdy academics who just wanted to focus. We didn't have, you know, we kept our boundaries. And it was, uh, I was teaching... Uh, for American Indian summer um, STEM program, um, that was about 17 years, uh, with a Ho Chunk, uh, wonderful brother, um, and uh, so he he's a mathematical musician, and I'm a you know the scientist language uh, whatever culture. We together we put this curriculum together, and then um, but it was always soft funded, and. Um, and uh, different directors and so forth. Then Roxanne came to be that director, and she saw how we were just doing it anyway, and and uh, she liked how we did that. So uh, uh, let's see. <laughs> I better quit for a second. No, I feel like you have um, touched on my next few okay. questions. Right. But what really stood out for me in hearing you speak, Jim, was um, you grew up in St. Paul, but you mentioned you know, the Mississippi River, spending mm -hmm. time up oh, on yeah. White Earth, and now you came back to the city yeah. so you're on the other side of the river. But the significance of the water, watersheds, rivers for Native people. Um, what is your dad's name? Yeah, um, his, uh, his Washicha name is interesting uh, because he was, his dad had a very rare experience. 
you know, a lot of times at boarding school, they would give us names. So they have a lot of Wilson, Larson, Johnson, Olson, Nelson. White names. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, his, he said that his dad had a piece of paper and they got to the point where he needed uh, a name. So he went up to some farmhouse and he said, you know, like, like a census taker. He's like, what's your name? You know, can you write your name for me? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if the person knew that that would then become the name. It was Wilson. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of us have returned to traditional names of our grandparents, uh, our great-grandparents or through ceremony. And um, yeah, so it's, it's been wonderful that uh, I, I'm glad you reminded me that, yeah, because up at White Earth, at Wabit, that's Ojibwe for, you know, sunrise, Algonquin language, the east direction, mm -hmm. and uh, much like Roxanne's name, Badabinikwe. Um, but then um, I want to, you know, I ended up coming back to the Twin Cities for graduate work, and, and uh, but I was recruited. Um, I was teaching chemistry and physics up, up there for a couple of three years, and uh, I was recruited by an African-American woman superintendent in all places. Uh, it's hard to say it. <laughs> Why is that? A, it's Waziata. Waziata. And I thought, oh, okay, this is changing my stereotype because growing up in the cities, you hear about the Minnetonka, Edina, and Waziata. Waziata. And, and of course, being from, you know, Lower East Side or whatever, uh, we didn't have that kind of financial. Uh, I mean, in terms of state hockey tournaments or all those rivalries, right? It's, it might as well have been Beverly Hills or something. <laughs> I didn't know. So it was... Uh, I thought, wow, there's diversity here. Maybe, maybe I can work. So I ended up, I guess that's what I was trying to say, and I probably stayed too long because I could bring in a lot of other Dakota speakers, uncles and aunties and so forth, but I was always in trouble for telling them that their real name is Waziata. And when you spell that name, Waziata, I said, that's not English, and it's not Dakota. It's not in English dictionaries, nor Dakota dictionaries. Why? Because... I'm not trying to poke their finger here. I'm just saying it's misspelled, mispronounced, misheard. It's a problem. Can we deal with truth? No, we could not. <laughs> and and so that white privilege was very much um, as as time went on, it became even greater and greater. My student, I had wonderful students that I loved, and they, they loved me. And there were always a few though. And some of them had well-known corporate last names. Um, and I know my history here. Mm -hmm. I know the railroad builders and the flour mill operators, mm -hmm. the lumber barons, the, the real names of the places. And uh, as long as I didn't peel that back and start teaching truth, <laughs> keep it to the technology, you know, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 this is so important, Jim. You know, this isn't any of the questions, but you know, you worked in the K through 12 system mm -hmm. in the West Metro, where particular pockets are known for their white affluence. Yeah. And what does that mean as a Native person working in this environment, but also this historical legacy of the lumber, the flour, 
um, the railroad industries in this region also has me thinking a lot of the work of Louise Erdrich, who's written about this in her fiction. Yep. Um, but a lot of these families are still around. Exactly. Um, and then today we also have a, a fair number of Fortune 500 companies in the West Metro as well attending these schools at particular places. In these schools that you were teaching in, did you ever have Native students? Oh yeah, that's what's so amazing. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about naming names too much here because uh, it's like my dad, you know, you could easily name drop and people would, or even if I hint at it, you can figure it out. But um, there were some wonderful people who then grew up, if I knew them from 14 to 18 years old, and then they would be on mom or dad's board. And so now we're one or two generations where they have an ethical conscience. They look at the world differently, but... Um, in, in Minnesota, in education particularly, this is a time where this phrase, CRT, critical race theory, is so, they, they throw that term around. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, people like, like us, like Roxanne and myself, yourself, our, our view, our worldview is different. And it's a very good different. It's a very healthy, wonderful perspective. But how rare to have someone like you in every way ask those questions and, and peel that back because most of the time you're sharing it on ears that just don't want to hear what's really behind it. And it's really hard to put into words because they're just so loaded with thought and heart, mind and you know feeling. So um, when I think back to the patience my dad had, like one time we were, we did a lot of father-son stuff. so over at corporate headquarters at 3M once, you know, because I, I was trained in chemistry, chemical engineering, astronomy and physics, all that nerdy stuff. I was two years old with glasses. So <laughs> as I think back, why, what, what made me love education? Why did, why did schooling work for Roxanne and I in spite of how most of it was colonial? And it, I think it's that deep curiosity. And you know, we're related to these little crawling ones here. And so with my glasses, I could see things <laughs> down in the, you know, uh, the grass blades or something. And then I also realized, even though I was two or three years old, you know, that when the light went through, um, you could see a little sun and it would get hot. And so you could light leaves on fire. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty powerful tool. We couldn't play with matches, but lenses for uh, microscopes and telescopes. So seeing little stuff and faraway stuff and that cosmology that develops. Mm -hmm. And just because my dad would say, learn everything you can from those books. But remember, there's much more written all around you and within you than in all those books. Mm -hmm. So he didn't discount Euro um, education. And he loved, you know, stories and, you know, he was always reading too. But um, I had a grandmother who played Scrabble with me and so forth. So you learn math and spelling and it's whatever it takes to give kids that positive feeling. And then when I could meet a few other people like Ben Blackhawk or that somehow, you know, I remember it was an Ojibwe classmate in fourth through seventh grade. Everybody thought he was Japanese and he didn't want him to know, you know, and he'd call him Fuji, for example, or, you know, so yeah, I'm, 
I could blend. My nose wouldn't let me blend. It's I got more of my mom's skin and my dad's nose. <laughs> so there were times, and again, as long as I, you know, I didn't have long hair, I wasn't um, always. But I, I, as I prepared for this, I have a book from like nine years old from the school, and it was old when we had it. But what's so amazing is they're short chapters of Minnesota history mm-hmm. with illustrations written in the 30s, and this was in the 50s that we... And so here's a chapter on uh, Jonathan Carver or, you know, Hill or uh, all those names that have counties, Ramsey and right. Sibley. And, and so, you know, I could read the little book and and what's amazing is they actually put indigenous perspective in there uh, a little bit. I mean, way more than critical race theory today would... Mm-hmm ever allow a book like that from 70 years ago to survive on a librarian's shelf. Mm-hmm. I know because there are, there are, the purges are happening. They always were. Mm-hmm. We always had to stand up for a, a broader perspective of, even if they're bad books, at least you can now document how bad it was. There was a $200 bounty on our heads. So my dad's family, his grandparents and parents, uh, great-grandparents maybe, I went over a thousand miles away. They were the furthest of the exiles to go up to Saskatchewan. Um, Dakota White Cap Nation in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, but then they went up to Prince Albert. So this winter I was able to connect with uh, that community as I'm trying to find, uh, if any, and I realized I found some charts from, again, the 1890s and early aughts that over half of those folks, if they did make it up there or last more than a year or two or three, over half died of TB. And they really didn't get to establish uh, whatever farmsteads or find employment or, you know. It, so a lot then came back to these other places that became, you know, White Cap or Standing Buffalo or whatever. So, um, and so when I think about Wounded Knee and those who were Dakotas in exile who came south because it was tough up there. You know, they were hoping grandmother England, I mean, I think of the Ukrainians going to Poland, you know, Mm -hmm. this little guy was 10 years old and spent 600 miles on a train with a phone number on his hand. My dad talked about walking, you know, 20 miles with bad shoes, if any, and Mm -hmm. bloody feet. And he wasn't on that, but other, you know, it's, we are still in exile here. 90% of us no longer live in our home state. And this entire state, Minnesota Makoche, for 10,000 plus years. Right. Um, we were here before the glaciers and we came back, that mountain of ice. And um, so when you, when you know the stories, and my dad's grandma would share those all through the winter. And... Uh, the stars. That's that's how what I'm getting at is mm-hmm. the star stories and 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 figures up there are the best mnemonics for layering multiple um, like teepee poles. Mm-hmm. You know, one teepee pole is good, but a whole bunch lean together and tied together. Where think of each pole pointing to different stars, mm-hmm. and now you've got this structure to live in, and it's a a philosophical structure too. I, I call it star architecture, <laughs> and that's the Makoche project too. 
is because we do want to return to those traditional uh, ways of living, Wichohang, and to uh, use our language. You know, my dad, uh, many years he was, he wasn't back here after he was wounded in Korea and recouped. And, uh, and then when the urban environment and stuff, so you, you know, some of his friends came around, but uh, again, some of his friends boarding school, then they lost the language. He still was able to retain. Uh, but uh, I, I wish I had uh, learned more earlier, uh, sooner. But um, it's uh, the name of the stars. I'm just so grateful because that's, um, and, and his grandma, you know, it, there's birthing connection to that. That's why in the Big Dipper, for example, there's a, a blue woman, uh, Ton or Tung, depends if you say it, Tungi, uh, auntie, blue auntie birth woman, it could be translated. And she's the celestial midwife that helps the baby to be born. Um, and if the mother is hanging on to the teepee rope and the contractions, and you've got other grandmas or aunties holding that uh, mom-to-be uh, to try to keep that joyful and and uh, and so it's this cosmic umbilical cord mm -hmm. so we have this pouch whether it's a turtle pouch or a, a salamander pouch for a girl or boy and so there's the Milky Way and there's I mean these are the things that you could just go on and on explaining all that and uh yeah. yeah, this is so good, and this is... Thank you for listening. This project may serve as a model for other communities that seek to go beyond land acknowledgement. To learn more about this oral history project, please contact Hennepin History Museum. The project was produced following the standards and principles of the Oral History Association. In addition to this podcast, the interview recordings, transcripts, and narrator files included signed legal released agreements can be found at the Hennepin History Museum. Funding and other support was provided by the St. Anthony's Falls Heritage Board, Hennepin History Museum, Valley Community Presbyterian Church, and the University of Wisconsin. This publication was also made possible in part by the people of Minnesota through a grant funded by an appropriation to the Minnesota Historical Society from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Any views, findings, opinions, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent those of the state of Minnesota the Minnesota Historical Society, or the Minnesota Historic Resources Advisory Committee. Anaya Chopta Pecha Wopira Unkenichiapi. Thank you for listening.